Hello, and thank you for joining us on Giving Voice to Depression. I'm Bridget. And I'm Terry. More than 350 million people worldwide suffer from depression, but you do not have to have it yourself to be affected by it. Its prevalence pretty much guarantees that someone you care about battles its darkness. This podcast tries to shine some light into that darkness. We're not experts, and we're not therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and are committed to encouraging healthy, healing conversations about mental illness. Episodes in this season are made possible by a grant from the Charles E. Kubley Foundation, which is dedicated to bettering the lives of those affected by depression. We are solely responsible for podcast content. Hey, Terry. Hello, Bridget. This is the end or our review or wrap up of season six. It's kind of hard to believe. It is hard to believe, but it's such a privilege. It is. Every 10 episodes, we like to compile some of our favorite takeaways from the intimate, raw, informative, authentic first-person stories that our guests share with us during this season. Mm-hmm. And our goal is that um, maybe people who aren't quite sure which one to listen to would get a little taste of what the different themes or topics are. And we just want to invite people to explore all the different aspects that we're covering. Hmm, nice. And as we were putting this together just last night, uh, it was I was filled with gratitude, you know, just a real deep sense of really respecting and appreciating the people who have come forward and shared their stories. And because they're not our best stories, you know, they're not the ones we really want to polish up and put out there. They're stories of struggle and pain and you know, weakness in in quotes there because that's what we're told this is as opposed to an illness. And it's just an absolute honor to be trusted to record and retell their stories. It's truly an act of bravery. And I feel gratitude for the people that in a moment of need or searching or need, in need, uh, that they're getting on the computer and they're typing in words like depression and trying to find some help and some support. Yes. And the fact that we're one of many, many, many possible avenues to yes. um, give them information and, and make them feel not alone. And I don't mean they, I mean all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an honor. It is. It's an honor. So let's start our review. Our first episode um, in this sixth season was called First Responders and Depression. And Monica, who's a former sheriff deputy, thinks that people really need to know the much underreported fact that more officers and firefighters die by suicide than all line of duty deaths combined. She understands how a steady diet of stress and disrupted sleep and trauma, violence, and risk can contribute to depression in susceptible people like herself. And I had been asked, like, aren't you afraid when you walk up to a vehicle what it's going to be or what you're getting into and if you're going to die at work? And I wasn't. I still had that feeling where... Um, I don't care if I, if I get called to an active shooter and I have to run into the building and if I'm shot and I die, I feel like at least that is a meaningful way to give my life, um, versus me just taking it because I'm sad. So, um, I wasn't afraid, which I, um, I wasn't afraid of any call I went to or any vehicle that I approached and, that's very de- that's a really depressing thought to have. 
But thinking about death and witnessing it are two very different things. And after getting a call at work that there had been a pedestrian semi-accident on the highway that turned out to be a suicide, Monica knew that she had to do something to protect her mental health. Actually responding to someone who felt the same way but decided that he was going to take his life really hit me very hard. And I just, I had thought that I don't want to be that person and so I needed to quit my job before I would become that person. And you can hear the rest of Monaco's full episode and again it's called First Responders and Depression. This season's second episode was A Son's Journey to Learn About and From His Father's Suicide. So in an effort to piece together and better understand both his father's life and method of death, Sebastian Sloven met with and interviewed a number of his father's friends all across the globe. And one of the amazing things about his story is that after learning from all of them, he had this life-changing opportunity to use that knowledge to help an actively suicidal man. Quick background. A friend of Sebastian's got a call that her father had just attempted to kill himself. They raced to the house. Sebastian offered to talk to the man, though they had never met. The man agreed. And I remember as I'm walking into the bedroom, I have this really clear sense, this deep sense that this is an opportunity to talk to my dad Mm. if he didn't die. There wasn't like any stress or anxiety around it. It was Mm -hmm. like, this is an incredible gift right here. And, um... I go into this room and, you know, it's dark and, and the energy is intense, you know, the, the curtains are shut and, you know, he's kind of you know, in bed with the covers up and he's just kind of staring blank at the ceiling and I sit down next to him and just sort of start to share about my experience losing my dad and, and I have a sense of what pressure you're under and it's like knowing my dad's story and then he just starts to open up and share back to me and we go back and forth for, for a while. And, you know, I think what we came to, you know, what I came to kind of explain to him, I guess in short, was like, you know, there's a lot of factors going on, but I would much rather have a dad around who is maybe in his own mind a failure or whatever. And uh, there's just like tremendous value in you being just around and breathing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, it was like... Nothing new to him, I don't think, but it was, I think having the conversation was definitely a helpful reminder and a helpful thing for both of us. And he, you know, shortly after that was like, okay, you know, what do we have to do? And, you know, we took care of kind of the, the, the necessary steps, like get him into a hospital, get him treatment. Oh, that line, tremendous value in you just being around and breathing. Whew. So Sebastian's story is interesting and helpful for a number of reasons. The fact that he learned a lot about living by investigating a death being just one of them. Again, his episode is called A Son's Journey to Learn About and From His Father's Suicide. And next, Cindy and Beth shared their story. This episode features an utterly amazing story of a mother's battle with guilt and depression after a car accident while she was driving that left her daughter paralyzed. Cindy took on Beth's care but neglected her own because of the guilt. After the accident, the worst depression I had ever experienced settled in. And I was not at all, you know, equipped to deal with it on my own. And I wasn't comfortable sharing it with anyone. I I felt strongly at the time that it was an accident, but I had I had caused 
this tragedy. I caused Beth's severe injury that she still has and is still dealing with. And as a result of that, I not only changed, you know, her life completely, but I changed the lives of everyone in my family and our friends, everyone who loved her. You know, I, I had hurt everyone that I loved with this accident. So I was determined not to add to that. I didn't want to add to anyone's, um, I didn't want to add my problems to that mix. You'll have to trust us that while tragic, this episode is also very much about hope and recovery. To put your minds at ease, Cindy's daughter graduated from Harvard University, where she swam on the varsity swim team before heading to Stanford to earn her law degree. She now works as a healthcare policy lawyer in Washington, D.C., and is planning a wedding in spring. The full episode is called Guilt and Depression. Wow. Well, September was Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, so we devoted two episodes to some outstanding advice on how to offer support to someone who is struggling. Our intention was to make clear that while suicide prevention can be big initiatives like a national crisis line, legislation, or emergency room visits, it is also knowing and looking for the warning signs, checking in with someone who's withdrawing and otherwise acting differently, offering to help them around the house, and any other action that conveys concern and offers a meaningful human connection. The fact that we might feel awkward or uncomfortable doing those things is no excuse for not stepping up and stepping in when someone's in crisis. Our guest, Sam Dillon Finch, shared 11 ways his loved ones have supported him in mental health crises. These are all proven, doable things that could really lighten someone's load or even save a life. There's just no roadmap. Like, I think there are plenty of people in my life who have wanted to be supportive and just really didn't know what that would look like. And I think part of it, too, is that we just need to normalize the idea that someone can offer that support without being asked to offer it, which was like a big thing for me is I think people wait for a written invitation to support folks in their life and they don't need one. There are big and small ways to intervene. Big and small ways to intervene. We can't recommend these episodes strongly enough. It's truly a rare gift to have someone who really knows the issue, both as someone who has needed and provided crisis support, and then offers specific suggestions and language to be there for someone. For example, check in on loved ones who've been struggling even after they seem better. And I think in general, appearances can be deceiving. I know for myself, when I start to feel like I'm putting too much of a burden on someone, uh, I might not be so forthcoming about when I start to get depressed again, because I might feel that I have exhausted my resources. And so I'm less likely to share, you know, it's happening again. Or I might just feel ashamed. I think a lot of people, when they do start to feel better and then things get worse again, it can feel like a personal failure. It can feel like, oh, I thought I had it figured out and now I'm doing worse again. And I might be reluctant to admit uh, and throw medications into the mix and it becomes even more complicated because we know that medications can change things really quickly uh, and in unexpected ways. So there's really no reliable way to know for sure that someone has improved in the ways that you might assume 
without checking in with them and really asking them how they're doing, regardless of how they appear to be doing. We will link to Sam's full list so you can print it out or read it again. But he elaborates on it all in the two episodes, which again are named How to Offer Support to Someone Who is Struggling, Parts 1 and 2. And next, we spoke with two of our community members from our Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page, Debbie and B. Both had reached out and written, saying that they were having a really hard time and that they were looking for some support. We called this episode, You Don't Have to Be an Expert to Make a Real Difference. B, who reached out hours after her husband suffered a fatal heart attack, said the short comments of support really made a difference. Absolutely. How did it help? Did it help? Yes, it absolutely did. Because I wasn't alone. I wasn't alone. In my grief and in my sorrow and anxiety and fear, there were people who came from a place of real empathy. And empathy is really, really important. And I know I won't be shut down. I know I won't be ridiculed. I know that there will be people that will be incredibly supportive. It is not um, fluff. It is not just a social. It is a real healing site. And it has been incredibly helpful for me. And Debbie, who was suicidal and had a relative with her and an appointment scheduled for medical care, also reached out for support. She wanted to talk to people who had been there, who really understood what she was going through. You know, I'm I'm looking at a pretty long list of people who wrote um, in response to you, and it was... You know, love and life is hard and we're here for you. One step forward at a time. Stay strong. Bless you. Do those things help or is it? Oh, my God, they help me immensely. I don't know if you've seen that post since then, but I send a thank you post to all the people that were there and that reached out to me. And, you know, I couldn't have done it without them knowing that there was somebody there. I mean, it was it was getting bad. And all the kind, kind words I got from everybody. I, I was crying when I saw them. When I was reading them, I was like, oh, my gosh. So we each need to do what we can do, if that means reaching out on social media to a stranger to support them, do it. Don't ever hesitate to offer empathy and support to someone who's struggling because you fear that you're not qualified to help. Sometimes our lived experience is the best qualification that there is. Mm -hmm. There's no training or degree needed to listen with an open mind and an open heart. Or to just say, I'm sorry that you're hurting. I'm sorry you're feeling this way. I'm here and you're not alone. What can I do to support you? Mm, Who would not want to hear that? Mm -hmm. The seventh episode this season featured Corinne Pertill a woman who never, ever expected to be calling the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline in crisis. But on the darkest day of her life, she did. And she is forever grateful that a well-trained, kind young man answered her cry for help. She credits the call with saving her life. 
he helped me find a way out. I really just didn't know at this point what you were supposed to say. What do I, clearly I need help, but I don't even know how to ask for it or what I should be asking for. Um, you know, he gave me the words to do that. And just having the language to describe something makes a huge difference. Um, it makes, it makes such a huge difference to be able to know that there are words to describe this thing you're going, going through. And there are words you can use to ask for help, um, that people will understand and that other people have used before. It's not this weird, crazy thing that has never happened to anyone. And that was wonderful. And it was just one of the most generous things that a human has ever done for me. The crisis line number she called, by the way, is 800-273-TALK. For those in the U.S. who prefer texting, that number is 741-741. Corinne reminds us that crisis lines are not just for people with no one to talk to. Because even if you are surrounded by people who would help if they knew, depression pretty actively convinces us that we're a bother, a burden, and that you really should be able to deal with it alone, all of which are lies. They are. I actually think it's uh, a good idea for us all to put those numbers into our cell phones because we never know if we're going to need it or be out in the world and need it to help somebody else. Agreed. So I think everyone should just take a moment and put those numbers in their cell phone. Another lesson Corinne learned from that frightening, dangerous experience is the importance of noticing warning signs in ourselves and in others. Noticing when the thoughts and the feelings are headed in a dark direction before they reach a danger zone. In her second episode, Act Before a Crisis, Maintaining Mental Health, Corinne shares a tool from her self-care box, a scale that she learned from a therapist. So we mapped out this thing. It was a physical piece of paper that I still have. And it said, okay, if one is a great day and 10 is your, you know, calling the hotline on the phone in your car. Um, what do you do? Not when you're at the end of that far in the scale, but as you start to feel things sliding from three to four to five, what steps do you start to take? Um, and that I found so incredibly helpful because as with pretty much all health conditions, it, things often are much harder to treat when they present themselves in the emergency stage. If, you know, prevention and sort of early interventions are, are often kind of your best, you know, your best investment there. Again, Corinne's episodes were titled Crisis Lines Save Lives and Act Before a Crisis, Maintaining Mental Health, if you'd like to hear them in their entirety. And the next episode was called Let's Talk About Depression. It's a conversation with Alex Brown, a writer, working to take shame out of the mental health equation by identifying depression as a common, treatable illness and exposing the danger of the belief that we really shouldn't talk about depression. We talk about other illnesses pretty freely. I don't know why, but the, the mental health word doesn't have the same kind of weight that if you said, I have cancer, or I have MS, or I'm struggling with something that ultimately might lead to death. Um, and I think it's just a societal, I don't want to say judgment, but it is a judgment um, in the sense of you can, you're just sad, or you can fix it, you'll be fine, take an antidepressant. People lose their battle to depression all the time, just like people succumb to cancer. One of our favorite quotes from Alex's essays relates to depression's invisibility. She writes, quote, You're sick in a way that makes it easy to judge. You're sick in a way that makes you look 
lazy, and unmotivated. You're sick in a way that makes people think asking, but why can't you just be happy, is a reasonable question. Like this is all some choice. Again, Alex's episode is called Let's Talk About Depression, and it was the last one of the season other than this summary. The past two seasons, Terry, have been sponsored by the Charles E. Kubley Foundation, and I just want to say thank you so much for allowing us to reach out and support others. We couldn't have done it without you. Thank you. We're going to take a little break, a couple of weeks, because we have to find new funding, and we also uh, have to do the interviews to start Season 7. Yes. And if anyone would like to reach out to us on our emails with any ideas or suggestions for the new season or how we've affected you, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out and write Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, at givingvoicetodepression.com or Bridget, B-R-I-D-G-E-T, at givingvoicetodepression.com. Excellent. And in the meantime, we invite you to join what's really turned into a wonderfully supportive, respectful Facebook community where we post daily. And all you have to do to find us when you're in Facebook is search Giving Voice to Depression and we'll come up. We hope we hear from you. Thank you very much. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Yep. With season seven. Yay. Love you, Bridge. Bye. We hope that these shared stories bring out a little more understanding or help people articulate their experiences of depression a little more clearly or more freely. Thanks to all, everyone who's digging deep and finding the words and finding the courage to give voice to depression. You can find all the other episodes, some resources, and a blog on our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And you can find the podcast most of the other places that you find podcasts. Just Google it, as our mom says. And please remember, if you're hurting, speak up. If someone else is hurting, listen up.